0: Good evening, everybody. How are we? We're good. Let me have a little look at you and I can see you. Awesome. Good to see you, everybody. I want to start off with a question tonight. I've got, I'm on assignment from the Holy Spirit, I really believe, tonight. I've been praying for you for this service actually for months because I knew that an evening preacher was going to come up at some point. And so I've really actually been praying about this moment for months And I believe that every person that's in the room is here by God's design. That he has something to say to you. That there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to do and he wants to shift tonight. And I want to ask you this question as my title slide comes up. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? I want you to think about that. And that little reason that popped into your head right now. Will it sustain you when those circumstances change? Will it sustain you when your feelings change? When your friendships change? When your passion changes? When your desire for church changes? When the season of life changes? When leadership changes? When things get hard? When you are offended? Because if you've not been offended yet in church, that will come at some point. (laughs) If you disagree with something the preacher says tonight. Or something somebody else says to you tonight, when you fall out of love, when you fall out of friendship groups, when the season of life changes, when you're overlooked, when your role changes, when things get tough, when it's not like you thought it would be in the past and you can't see how it's going to be any different in the future, the reason that popped into your head when I said that, why do you come to church? Will that reason sustain you? Will it keep you? Will it keep you sat in the seat that you're in? I wonder. All of the reasons that popped into your head. Well, I can't categorically say all because I'm not a mind reader. So let's say pretty much most of the reasons that came into your head will be good reasons. There'll be things like worshipping God and connecting and being part of the family. They're not bad reasons. There'll be In a room of this size, there'll be a couple of such reasons that came into your head when it was like, why you come to church? But... I started thinking about this because I was actually thinking about the peers that I um, grew up with. That it's been 20 years since I was, um, or 21 years actually, since I was an 18-year-old sat in church. I know it's terrible, isn't it? When you start thinking in decades, you're like, oh, gosh, I feel old. So, But I was thinking back to my peers, and I was having a conversation with somebody and saying, actually, when I think about the people that I sat in a service just like that, this with, in church, in conferences, at a Bible college, with actually. And I think about how many of those are in church, not in ministry, who are in church, who are in church with their families loving Jesus today. It's not as many as you would think. There's a lot of them that don't go to church at all. They're not raising their children. They've all got kids now. They're not raising their children as Christians. They're not discipling their children. Doesn't factor into their finances, doesn't factor into their time. Doesn't factor into how they live their life. It's not a consideration for how they do their life at all. And if, yeah, if we could have kind of rewound the time and gone back to 18-year-old us that were sat in a in a room just like this, we didn't have LED screens back then. We had an overhead projector, but it was real. You know, that was really flashy at the time. If we could have gone back and said, "Will you be in church in 20 years?" Every single one of them would have said, "Yes, absolutely. Of course, I'd be in church." Why would I not be in church? What are you talking about? Of course I'll be there. What on earth would take me out of church? They would all say yes to be in church, and yet they're not. So I'm going to, tonight my job is not to tackle why that happens. That's a massive discussion. Or even to solve the problem when it does happen. My assignment tonight, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, is to build upstream from that problem. It's to go up. No, So I'm not being an ambulance at the bottom of a cliff. I'm going up to the top of the cliff and trying to build a fence way before the edge of the cliff that puts something in your life that puts a deposit of a thought that the Holy Spirit causes to grow that becomes an anchor for your soul that means that when the temptation comes, and it will come, it will come, of why am I bothering with church? Why should I bother? It's too difficult. Then this thought that the Holy Spirit is going to anchor for you will help that. So I can't, I can't persuade you tonight. I'm not clever enough to do that. I can't manoeuvre things and manipulate things to make you... I can't come with a persuasive argument tonight to help do that. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that. So let's invite him to do the work that he wants to do tonight. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you want what you, you have something to accomplish tonight. I know that. And Lord, I pray... That I would get out the way and you would do what you want to do. That Holy Spirit, you directed to every heart. Let the words fall in good soil. And Lord Jesus, let it build something for the future by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a really personal message for me because, believe it or not, it's actually a question that I've been asking for the last 18 months. Church, what's your why? I've been... Now in church, in this new season of motherhood that I'm in, for 150 services, I did some counting up, but I know, right? Oh, 78 weeks-ish, give or take. But I've actually spent 30 years or so in church, usually twice on Sundays, because that's how we did it back old school. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Conferences. <laughs> Lots of conferences, youth retreats, all of that good stuff. So I tottered it up, and I'm close to, I'm pushing around 6,000 church services since I said yes to Jesus. I know, it's pretty, pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, this, this next part is not a complaint. You need to hear me here. This is not a complaint. This is my observation of my journey that I've been on in the current season of motherhood that I find myself in. Our family is a blessing. I absolutely adore it. But this is just how things have been. Us, particularly for me, for these past 78 weeks, 150 services. Friendship and connection, totally different. That's why lots of us come to church. I did a little bit of sneaky market research and asked a lot of you why you come to church. And lots of you said this reason, and it's a brilliant reason you should find friends and um, connection in church. It's part of how the church is designed to be. It's designed to be a family, and we want you to do that because who you surround yourself with changes the direction of your life. So it's a great reason to be in church. But at the minute, if I've had a one-minute conversation with you, we're doing really, really well because it's normally, how's life going for you? Yeah, it's going really well. Oh, sorry, I've got to go over here because yeah. Lib's about to run off the stage or like run into somebody or run out into the car park. So friendship and connections, not, not great for me at the minute. Communion, having that kind of pause and the moment to even close your eyes that looks different now because I can't close my eyes I can't stop and just just think about Jesus because again I have a small human to keep alive and that sounds like a really easy job but let me tell you it's really really not small children have a severe death wish they just really don't want to make the fact that you're here with all of your limbs and fingers your parents did amazing let me tell you You should be grateful. It's really, really tough. Engaging in praise and worship. If I'm in the service for two praise songs, I I will go home and be like, that was a great service today. I stayed in for two praise songs. Being devoted in worship, again, not thinking about anything, but just having the moment to adore Jesus and worship him in this corporate setting. That's different. I can't do that in the same way. Actively listening and engaging with the whole of a preach. thats a distant memory. It's just it's not possible. I listen through the week while I'm folding my washing and sorting things out. But having that experience in the room and even in the parents' room, the glass, you wouldn't think that just a pane of glass makes a difference. But it does. You can, the atmosphere is different. There's something corporate and collective that happens. It's just different. And in this season, I've sometimes honestly felt the most disconnected from church that I ever have. I've said to myself, what was the point of me coming to church today? What did I get out of church? Would anybody have noticed if I wasn't in the room? We've come crying in the car, both me and Lib. We've left crying in the car, both me and Lib, sometimes. And, and honestly, most weeks, it would have been a lot, lot easier to stay at home and watch online. It would have been so much easier. Every reason that had me in church before that I took totally for granted was not enough. It's not enough at the, in this season. It looks different. It's just not possible. It's just how the season is, and it'll change quickly, and it'll look differently, and that's all good. But I'm going to ask you again, why do you come to church, and will that reason hold you up, for God will in the next 70, 80 years of your life? Will that reason hold you? Because all of us, whether we know this or not, we approach church in a weird way. And and by weird, I mean this. I mean Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. This weird mindset was coined by a guy called Joseph Heinrich. And he studies cultures, and specifically Western culture. And as he was looking at um, all the different studies that are done in the world about um, anthropological studies, that's the study of people and how things happen, he noticed that... In weird cultures, in Western cultures, we get a specific set of results that are predictable. But if you then replicate that study in, say, an Eastern culture or a tribal culture, it's different. The results don't come out the same because whether we know it or not, we have a weird mindset. We're Western. We're educated. We're industrialized. We're rich. We're democratic. We think in abstract and propositions. We don't work the land Although, Pasinina, I hear you're working the land. It's going very well down your end. But, but we don't work the land. Not all of us are going out and being farmers all the time. We don't live by an agrarian rhythm. We don't look up and be like, oh, there's rain today. Great. Things are going to be great on the farm. There's not that rhythm and flow to our life as there is for the rest of the world. For most of the rest of the world, that's how they live. We have all of the resources that we need to meet our basic needs. We may not have all that we want and all that Instagram tells us that we need, but we have everything to meet our basic need. And we emphasize personal freedom above all. And that is different to the the entirety of the rest of human history and every other culture on earth. We are weird. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are weird. You are weird. We We are weird. It's true. And that democratic and analytic foundation, this, this way that's just baked into who we are and how we approach things, means that we approach church through the lens of observation and critique. I thought church was good today. What are we doing? We're observing and critiquing. Whether that's good or bad, we're saying, I'm observing and I make a judgment. I thought church was great today. 20th and 21st century consumerism that we're raised in is our natural default. And so we say things like, the service really spoke to me today. If we go to other cultures in the earth, they're not saying that. They're not even approaching it in that way. It's not even in their thinking. They don't come with a consumerism mindset that says, what am I going to get out of this? They come differently because that's just how they're raised. And we can't see it because we're weird the freedom of religion that we have means that we've actually got church choice. We can choose a stream of Christianity, well, hopefully one that acknowledges Jesus and believes what the Bible says, but we can, within that stream, we've then got choices. You can, the, the, there's church choices. People literally go church shopping. They go and they decide where they should become planted, hopefully, and that's not a bad thing. That's how our culture is, but that's totally different to the rest of the world and for the rest of human history. Our weird wiring means we approach church unconsciously with an individualistic mindset and a worldview that we don't even aware that we're coming to do it. And everybody in the New Testament and Old Testament would have been like, what what are you doing? Which is why even Eastern cultures, even tribal cultures, cultures that that aren't Western, find reading the Bible such a different experience because they don't come at it with, with the way that we the soup that we're swimming in that we don't know we're in. But our weird wiring really lets us down when things get tough because it, it builds into us a trapdoor. It builds into our thinking, I'm looking for an escape hatch. It builds in, where's the ejector seat? When things get tough and when I don't like things and it's not working for me, I don't like this, where's, where's the button? Where's the eject button? because it's now not working for me. I'm now not getting what I used to get. I don't feel fed. I don't feel love in this church. There's not enough connection. It's too clicky. I don't like the worship. I don't like the preaching. I can't... You know, all the billion reasons why people get up and leave churches. What they're doing is they're pressing a button that the rest of the world doesn't press in the same way. We look for an exit because we're hardwired to. The biblical authors, however... When they're talking about church, they don't choose individualistic language. They choose collective imagery. And it's, it's confrontational to us because we are so baked into radical individualism. Our brains are soaking in it. But the authors of the Bible say that the church is a body. It's a temple, that's a collective experience. It's the Israel of God, that's a chosen people in a nation where God is uh, their, their God. It's an ecclesia, that means like a collective of people, a called out collective of people, a family. Even the Old Testament has collective imagery. But let me read this to you from Isaiah 22. It says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days, and the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest of the mountains. And it says, Come, let us Go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. There's no like, let, let me go to the mountain, then God can talk to me about my life and how I can have things different. It's collective imagery. Revelation 22 has this same imagery of a tree and a river. And it's this beautiful picture. So the river is many tributaries, many little streams that all flow into the one. And the one is Jesus. And this tree imagery, which is the seed of Jesus that was planted as he died. And then out of that sacrifice comes many. So it's this many into one and one into many. This collective experience in Revelation 5 says this. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people, collective, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You're not on your own. You're in the family of God and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Even in the world to come, we're not doing it on our own. All you introverts, you might be like, goodness me, life was difficult. Can I just have a century of quiet contemplation on my own? And maybe Jesus will give that to us. I don't know. Maybe he will. But it's collective. We'll all be sat in a quiet room together. Be like, oh, it's lovely. Here with all the billions of other introverts, but we'll just be quiet and just contemplate how good Jesus is. It's a collective experience, the church. But if we come to it with our weird wiring, we miss it. Peter, Hebrews and Romans, picks up and uses this imagery of priesthood in the church. And that's our anchor that I want us to hold on to tonight. Romans 12 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship present. It's a physical act. The language here is is familiar to sacrificial language. It's, it's something that's set apart for God. It's something that's holy and set apart for God. Paul uses this language because the people that he's writing to understand the sacrificial system. They know what this looks like. And so they're now thinking, oh, okay, I know what this looks like. We present our sacrifices. This isn't, you can't do that virtually. There's not an app for that. Like, you've got to go and take the animal into the temple and present it. And Paul says, well, like like you did that, now there's a physicality to this. You have to go and present yourself. It's you now. You are the sacrifice the physicality of it matters to God because he says so. And let me just put it as kindly as I can, that if you're physically able and you have the availability and you are able to and you're not in church, why? Why? Because Paul says, present yourself. Pick your body up. Get it ready, put it in the car, get it down here, walk it to a seat, sit it down, stand it up, make it clap, make it lift some hands, (laughs) open your mouth, let the praise come out. There's a physicality to it. And then this is, I just love this, it's so amazing. And he says this, which is your spiritual worship. What that literally means when you say that it's holy and acceptable to God. The, The word is logicon. It's logical. That's literally where it comes from, obviously. You guys are smart. You know that. But it means logically, divinely reasonable service according to God's law. So when God's setting things out, he's like, what's reasonable sacrifice to me? I don't want to be unreasonable. Who loves serving an unreasonable God? No one. Let's set some reasonable expectations for sacrifice. And he says, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's reasonable. I think that's an okay ask. That's an okay demand to put on people who say they love me. God requires of us to present our bodies and says, that's reasonable. I think that's good. Now, Weird Wiring (laughs) puts its foot on the gas here and goes, well, hang on. I'm under grace, not law. I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm not an Old Testament person. I'm not under law here. I can worship God how I like. I have a personality. I have a preference. I can, I can, I I am able to say, I have agency. I can say what does not doesn't work for me. And unfortunately, the New Testament authors say, sorry, no, you can't. You're not able to do that. Yes, the way has been made, through Jesus to God. Yes, you have complete and free access to God now through Jesus and his sacrifice. But no, you are not in charge. No, you do not get to set the terms of what God says is holy and acceptable. You don't get to say, well, I think this is holy and acceptable. God gets to say, this is what is holy and acceptable worship. And if we say that we love God, then should we not love him the way that he has revealed that he likes to be loved? Because he's, if we're going to use some language, he's self-identified that. He's revealed it. He's, He's put it out there. That's what he said that he likes for us to do. And the responsibility is on us to find out his love language and love him that way. When I married Neil, I did not know... Because love languages weren't around then, right? I did not know I was marrying um, an acts of service and gifts person. I still would have married him had I done that, but had I known. But I didn't know that, right? I'm a words of affirmation girl. Like, tell me things are good. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Literally, it shouldn't make a difference, but it absolutely does, right? <laughs> words of affirmation person, through and through. Absolutely through and through. So Neil is um, acts of service and gifts and if I really love Neil, then I'm going to serve him and bring him gifts. Neil, somewhere with liberty, is like, yes, yes, you will. <laughs> I will feel loved. But if I approach our marriage, our covenant, our covenant relationship, and be like totally disregarding, he'll say, well, well, I, I'm, I'm words of affirmation. And to be honest, this is what we did in our first like five years of marriage. <laughs> It was just, Neil brought me gifts and did things for me. And I was like, what's that about? And I just said to Neil, he's doing awesome. And he was like, what's that about? Like, it's just the first five years of marriage working itself out. So pro tip, find out the person's love language and then discipline yourself to do that. Even bigger pro tip, if the person that you like and you want to marry has the same love language, oh, you've hit the jackpot. Like, it's just marry that person immediately. So much easier. If they're the right person and Jesus says it's okay. That's my caveat there. Everybody's getting on love languages. What am I? What am I? Post the results to Instagram. Hope they see it. Who, who likes it? No. So you've got to love the person that you're in covenant relationship the way that they have revealed they like to be loved. If I don't love Neil, I'll stack the dishwasher in the way that he likes it stacked. I like to stack it like a chaotic raccoon. That is my style of dishwasher stacking. Like throw it all in, do a pre-rinse, hope for the best. That's how I stack the dishwasher. But if I really love Neil, I will put the cups in the way that he likes the cups because that's, how he is. That's how he's revealed that he likes to be loved. And I'll bring him a Mars bar or I'll bring him some coffee from Cubby House. And I'll, I'll do those things because that's how he likes to be loved. And the onus is on me because I'm in covenant relationship with him. And the onus is on him to tell me, you look great, you're doing awesome, blah, 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 blah because that's how I like to be loved. And if I choose not to, because it's not convenient to me. I'm straying into lazy, selfish, and stubborn relationships. And then if I get cross with Neil because of how he's made, if I get frustrated, I'm like, why can't you just like have some words of affirmation and be done with it? Because, you know, I'm a squirrel in the relationship. I'm the budgeter. So I'm like, gifts like the gifts to cost the money right so I'm like why can't just a well done for you be good enough because he's a (laughs) gift and we love that in our household it's awesome but if I get ticked off with Neil because that's how he is then I'm actually devaluing who Neil is I'm devaluing how he's made And if I come to God and say, well, God, I don't like how you reveal that you like to be worshipped. That doesn't actually work for me. It's not convenient. I don't like it. It's not natural to me. I don't like lifting my hands up, thank you very much. That's not how I like to worship. Then what am I doing? I'm devaluing who God is and how he's revealed that he likes to be loved. It may not be natural to you, and that's totally fine. But you can work on it. And there is a discipline of love and worship to God of how he is expressed in the context of church. Hebrews picks up this theme in chapter 13, which is titled, Sacrifice is Pleasing to God. So if you want to know what God likes, go and read the chapter. And it says this, "...through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good." Week care day. Go sign up and share what you have. There you go, Joe. And share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God is pleased with putting on a week air day. He's like, good. Yes. I like you to do good things and share what you have. The hymn here, it says through him, that's talking about Jesus. Basically, if we were gonna if we were gonna sum up Hebrews, we'd say it this way: Jesus over everything. That's the book of Hebrews in like three words. So the, the writer is saying Jesus is better, 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 better than sacrificial system, better than the way things have been before, better than the Old Testament way of worship. He, he fulfills and he supersedes it is what Hebrews tells us. He fulfills every part. And then here it says continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Now we're like, well, that's a tall order. And it was a tall order for the people who were listening because at the start, they used to just offer up the sacrifices at the feasts and the festivals. There were set times when they got to do that. And they would go and they would offer them up. But now Hebrews says all the time, continually go and do that. This sacrifice of praise literally means a thank offering. It's the only place that word's used in the Bible. It's really interesting. The fruit of lips is a natural byproduct of a transformed heart. It's an overflow. You know, swear in the Bible, it says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the fruit of your lips is something that's growing in you and then comes out of your mouth and your lips. It's a transformed heart. If, if Jesus has changed you, which we're praying and believing that he does as you walk with him, the overflow of that is, thanks, Jesus you're amazing. My life is different now. Um, Where it says acknowledge here, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, that's a bit closer to praise or celebrate. The fruit of lips that praise or celebrate his name. And God has said, I like it this way. This is pleasing to me. This is what I like. The sacrificial language in this bit here lands us on a point made by Peter And that's where we're going to bring home our thought for tonight. Why do we come to church? Why do you come to church? Our reason that stands the test of time in every season. Why do we come to church? Remember, all the other reasons are good reasons. Connection, family, worship. Uh, communion, you know, being able to be uplifted and edified and counted. They're all brilliant reasons. You should come to church for those reasons. But all of those reasons will change at some point. The anchor reason why we come to church is because you are now a priest and you have a duty to offer acceptable worship to your God in the way that he has revealed, which is the expression of Christ's body on the earth the church that's it i'll read it once more we are now priests who have a duty to offer acceptable worship to our god in the way that he is revealed which is in the expression of christ's body on the earth the church peter puts it this way like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word that by you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone, Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, collective language, like living stones, multiple language, are being built up as a spiritual house, collective language, to be a holy priesthood, collective language, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. God says, This is how I like to be worshiped together. This is what I like verse 9, but you're a chosen race, together a royal priesthood, together a holy nation, together a people for his own possession that you may proclaim through the lips the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, collective. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have got mercy. That's a good reason to praise. And again, the milk of the word is that, that logicon. Only twice is that word used in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it's this same thought pulling these two scriptures together. This is what's acceptable to God. This is the logical, rational, reasonable way to fulfill God's law. This is how he likes it. All that collective language. We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. This external expression of how grateful we are to God. We will be doing this in heaven. We'll be doing it in heaven. We won't be able to sacrifice in the same way because now we live in a broken world that's full of sin. And we cry and things are difficult and hard. And we only have the opportunity to worship and praise him and give that sacrifice through tears here. Heaven, there'll be no tears. We'll just do it because it's just flipping awesome and we'll just do it for thousands and millennia and it'll just be great. But this is the reason why we come. We come to offer up a sacrifice of praise and thanks within the collective expression. And that reason doesn't change. Why does that reason not change? Because when you said yes to Jesus... He said yes to becoming a priest. He made you a priest. And a priest has a duty to perform. You have a duty to perform. It's not optional. This is not an add-on. You have a duty. It's our spiritual responsibility to give praise. All the other parts of the service are there to to connect and to build you up, to equip you, to encourage you, to connect you. All of those things are great to encounter, to minister, and, and they're right, and we should do that, and those are great. And, and it's, that's how God meant it to be. So I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's absolutely right and how it's designed to be. But during the praise and worship is your only opportunity to minister to God. It's your only chance to lift up holy hands. It's your only chance to offer the fruit of lips of a sacrifice of praise. It's your only opportunity to physically present your body, to get your body out of the chair and to move it and to to articulate it and to, and to put it in a position that sacrifices to your God. And it's really important that we just put a tiny caveat on this. You don't sacrifice to get because that's how pagans approach God. I'll sacrifice and then fill in the blank we don't sacrifice to get that's not how we approach we sacrifice because we're priests and it's our duty and that's what we're here to do jesus doesn't have to do anything for us he's done everything if he never answered another prayer gave us anything ever again it would it is already done enough so we come and we bring our best that sacrifice doesn't change our salvation. It comes from resting in the finished work of Christ. Christ sacrificed himself. He exampled this. He sacrificed himself. He, as the Bible calls him the great high priest. He models this for us. His once for all sacrifice. But just because Jesus has done it all and he's awesome and it's all sufficient, doesn't mean that I get to be lazy. Doesn't mean that I get to tap out. Doesn't mean that I get to do it how I like. God expects us to sacrifice. So I'm going to ask you tonight, what are you sacrificing? Is it acceptable to God? Or are you giving things on your terms? I wonder if the band can join me. This idea, as we come into land tonight, this idea of the priesthood is actually central to what is called the Reformation. This little dude down here, Martin Luther, he's... Not looking very cheery, but all his pictures are like that. He obviously was having solemn thoughts when somebody sat and drew him. But he coined a phrase called the priesthood of all believers. And at the time, that was such a controversial thought. Because at the time in medieval Catholicism, in the medieval church, there was a, a false teaching that had crept in that said there's a, there's a, there's a chain of command And at the top is God, and then there's archangels, and then there's angels, and then there's the sacraments, which are things like communion and baptism and confirmation, all that kind of stuff. And then there's the priests, and then way down here is all of us, which is the plebs, like everybody else. We're down here. And us down here, we've got no access to God because you have to go through this chain of command, right? And Martin Luther, smart guy that he was, read his Bible and was like, are you reading what I'm reading? Have you read Peter? Have you read Romans? Have you read Hebrews? The priesthood of all believers. We're all priests. We're all going to be priests in the new heaven and the new earth. And what he did was he died in exile, branded a heretic, because he came against this thought that the priesthood, and this is literally what they believed, there was a unique class of individuals gifted by God to contemplate the things of God in a higher order than ordinary people who had no capacity for sublime truth. So that's what they would have said about you and me, no capacity for sublime truth. And he died in exile, branded a heretic, because he said, no, no, read your Bible. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. All of us are equal before Jesus. You and I, have the same access to Jesus that Pastor Mark does. In Martin Luther's day, I could have been burnt at the stake for saying that because it was so contrary to the way that things were. Before Christ, you and Pastor Mark and pastoral staff are equal. You are both classed as priests. You are equipped to bring your own sacrifice. Pastor Mark cannot sacrifice for you. You cannot sacrifice for Pastor Mark. You have to come. It's your responsibility. But so often I think even though we swim in the Protestant stream and the Pentecostal Protestant stream, so often I actually think somehow we've defaulted to a medieval Catholic way of thinking without even knowing that we're doing it. And what we actually really believe is that the pastoral staff are a unique class of individuals. And they are gifted to contemplate the things have got in a way that I can't. And they do hear from Jesus in a way that I'm not able to. And they are able to read the Bible and it speak to them. And I can't do that. But that's not true. You've got the same access. You're the priest just the same as them. And somehow we've air our priestly duties to the worship team. Amazing as they are. But we've said, do you know what? I think I'll get them to offer my sacrifice. They sing better. They look better doing it. They sound nicer. They look like they know what they're doing. When they, you know, when they say, you know, sing out your own song, they've got something to sing, but I don't feel like I've got anything to sing. And we, we've outsourced, we've airtassed, we've devolved our priestly duties and devalued this moment of collective gathering. And we've neglected what only we can do. We've neglected to step into our priestly calling and bring our sacrifice of praise and thanks. And it's a privilege that every Old Testament character that was in the family of God would have chopped off their right arm for. It's what every New Testament believer rejoiced the fact that they could do it. And we are sleeping on it because we're weird. We're sleeping on this. And it's what sustains us in this season. Stand with me. In this season that's my why. I come because I'm a priest before God and there's a sacrifice of praise and thanks that only I can bring, even if it's just for two songs, even if it's just for one song. Even if it's through tears, even if it's through difficulty, even if I don't feel like it, even if I've had a hard week, even if I don't see how things are going to work out, even if things are all over the show, this is the only opportunity I have in the week to gather collectively with the body of Christ and put my body on the line as a priest, as is my duty to bring praise and thanks That's why we picked the songs that we did tonight because it's just praise and thanks. Just the opportunity to say, thank you, Lord. To raise holy hands. To bring a sacrifice of praise. To answer the call. So tonight, I wonder if you close your eyes. We're going to finish tonight and we're going to put it into practice. We're going to respond to the word and we're going to step up into our priestly calling. And I want you specifically to engage your whole body, your body, your soul, your mind, your spirit. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to bring a sacrifice of praise. Only you can do this. I want you to answer the call tonight. So I want to now, would you close your eyes? Would you lift your hands with me? Would you let thanks and praise come off your lips? Would you say, thank you, Jesus. If you don't know what else to say, just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, God, that there's only you that's worthy of my worship. Thank you, God, that in every season you are worthy of worship and praise. Father, forgive us when we've been sleeping on this and we haven't uh, done it and we've neglected our duty. But tonight, God, we're going to give praise. We're going to give thanks. We're going to honour you. We're going to sing to your name. Worship team, lead us, please.